I'm John Caldera, president of Independence Institute. Dick Wadhams is known to, well, pretty much everyone in Colorado. He's the former chair of the Colorado GOP. He's the campaign strategist who got Wayne Allard elected to the United States Senate twice, and Bill Owens elected governor, the only Republican governor in about a 50-year span. Since I was out of town, that great usurper, Mike Krause, sat in for me on our television show, Devil's Advocate. This is the audio version of that show. You can watch the program by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV, which stands for Independence Institute Television, or just go to thinkfreedom.org. I hope you'll enjoy this discussion. Welcome to your weekend. I'm Mike Krause, Editor-in-Chief of CompleteColorado.com. I'm filling in for your usual host, John Caldera, who is headlining a Hair Club for Men's event at the Airport Ramada this weekend. <laughs> so it's been a week since the midterm election here in Colorado, and so we wanted to uh, uh, sit down with someone who knows a thing or two about elections and, and talk about what happened, and more importantly, what the future looks like. Uh, for Colorado, and that is Dick Wadhams. Dick, how are you, sir? Hey, Mike. Nice to be with you. Yeah, good. Good to have you here. So you've got some. You've got bona fides. You were the former state uh, party chair for the GOP. Yes, sir. And you've run some uh, campaigns in your day. I have. Yes. yes. All right. So <clears throat> I think the kindest word to use for what happened last Tuesday is that Republicans took a shellacking here in Colorado. But here's the interesting part: leading up to the race. That was not what the conventional wisdom said was going to happen. The conventional wisdom said, hey, look, it looks like Republicans are well positioned to at least gain back a little bit of lost ground because yeah. the state is a one-party state. And uh, we were maybe going to pick up one, two statewide seats, maybe the new congressional seat, uh, some state senate seats, and maybe a couple state house seats. And none of that happened. No. So how could the conventional wisdom be so wrong leading up to this race? Well, <clears throat> Mike, I think there was a lot of optimism because Biden's numbers are upside down in Colorado. We, we, we're suffering in Colorado from inflation and crime and homelessness like everybody else. And so I think there was an optimism that the Republicans could come back. And we nominated some really good candidates this time, really did. I mean, Joe O'Day was a great candidate. Heidi, Heidi Ganahl was a fine candidate. We had John Kellner and Pam Anderson. Barb Kirkmeyer in the 8th District. I mean, we had some good candidates. And I think we were optimistic, or, or, the, or I was optimistic, that the, the very unaffiliated voters who swung so heavily against us in 2018 and 2020 would, would, would take a second look at Republicans in 2022 because Trump is no longer president. They hated Trump in those election years, and they showed it how they voted. But that didn't happen, Mike. I mean, they frankly... If you compare the, the percentages that Biden got in 2020 to what uh, uh, Michael Bennett and, and Jared Polis got in 2022, virtually identical. <clears throat> so the Democrats su suffered nothing from high inflation, crime, homelessness. They didn't suffer a thing. This is what's really interesting about this, though, is because, I mean, a lot of the, like, what I might call the Democrat media, Moving into this election, they, yeah. want, they wanted to talk to the candidates about what they called the big issues, right. climate change, maybe abortion, right. something like that. But when people started getting polled and surveyed, yes. Colorado, survey after survey after survey said Coloradans were concerned about crime, yes. the cost of living, et cetera, and, yes. and the cost of, of housing, frankly, right. in, in Colorado. But then they turned around and it overwhelmingly sent back the exact same people who oversaw 
uh, our move towards high inflation, yes. higher crime rates, et cetera. How do we, how do we, what, what do we do with that? You know, Mike, <clears throat> I'm starting to think that there's a hangover on our party, on the Republican Party, from this, uh, this uh, very big chunk of our party that believes the election was stolen from Donald Trump in 2020. There's the whole conspiracy th uh, theory cr crowd. And then I think a lot about what happened earlier in 2022 um, when uh, we had a, a Mesa County clerk, Republican, who we both know she, she illegally tampered with election equipment in Grand Junction. She was criminally indicted for that. She's going to go to trial here shortly. Um, she was arrested in downtown Grand Junction, and during the arrest, she attempted to kick a police officer. She goes flying off to to South Dakota or somewhere with Mike Lindell and flees the state for a while. Meanwhile, we have a Senate, another candidate for the U.S. Senate, who lost the primary to to O'Day, but he was talking about how the Chinese infiltrated our election process and denied Donald Trump the the presidential electoral votes from Colorado in 2020. Uh, and then a third a third candidate, uh, Greg Lopez, who, who Heidi Ganahl defeated, who said, if I'm elected governor, I will pardon the, the clerk from Grand Junction of her crimes. I think, I think collectively, th those stories stayed in the press so much. I think people said, you know, I think Colorado Republicans have nom nominated some good candidates. But you know what? That party is still full of nuts, and they're and it's still dominated by Donald Trump, and we don't and we frankly don't trust them yet. I think that I think that was one of the problems in this election. It might help explain the fact that 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 all of those people you just described, all yes. the people who believe there was conspiracy behind the the election, mm -hmm. lost their primary elections to what you might call fairly middle. I mean, traditional yes. middle of the road Republicans yes. who have a, who had pretty solid uh, Republican yes. uh, credentials. Uh, yet at the same time, they got they felt like they got drugged down. Uh, by, yes. There was something direct keeping them drugged down. Yeah, and you think, yeah, it, it was just the kind of the hangover from the uh, from from well, the Trumpsters. Yeah. I, I think I think Donald Trump deeply hurts Colorado the image of Colorado Republicans, and I'm sure a lot of Trump loyalists. And by the way, I want to say up front, I voted for Trump twice. I love what he accomplished, judicial uh, nominations deregulation, tax cuts, I mean, what he did on COVID. I mean, I could go through all the things I loved about Donald Trump. But since the election, Mike, he has, he's, he has thrown away all his credibility with this stolen election conspiracy stuff. And, and I think it's, 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 it has now cast a pall on the entire party that, that every Republican suffers from right now. So this is an excellent lead into Colorado's electorate because Again, if we go back to conventional wisdom, conventional wisdom was we are overwhelmingly an unaffiliated <clears throat> state now. Yes. Unaffiliated outnumber Republicans, they outnumber Democrats, and that those unaffiliated would swing back a little bit due yeah. to all these things we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yet they went so not just and so here's the interesting part. This wasn't just Democrat victories, at least at the statewide level, these were dominating numbers. Yes. Right. So here's the big question is moving forward, is this the new reality? Or it was this a an anomaly because of, of this combination of things that may have happened that involved Donald Trump and election conspiracies and maybe a Supreme Court decision on abortion that had a lot of suburban women fired up about reproductive sure. rights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or do we have to accept a reality that Colorado is simply a 
deep blue state now, at, I the, think, at least at the statewide level. Right. I think we are a deep blue state as long as Donald Trump dominates the Republican Party and defines the Republican Party. I don't think we ever emerge from this. Um, the 46% of the electorate that are registered unaffiliated are a combination of, frankly, I think they're a, a big chunk of that, Mike, are, are, are people who really are liberal Democrats. They just register unaffiliated. Sure. You know, and, and then there's another chunk of people that probably <coughs> I was hoping would give us the opportunity um, in this election, but they, they, they see Republicans and they see Trump. Um, I don't see how we emerge from this as long as that is the situation. And I mean, uh, all of my MAGA friends, I mean, who are, are still enamored with Donald Trump, and he, like I say, I think he served America well with many things he accomplished as president, but he is destroying this party right now by his behavior and by his, by his um, ridiculous notions that the election was stolen from him. And I don't think we climb out from under this. Well, we certainly don't, don't climb. There's certainly no room to climb out in the next election cycle because <clears> there <throat> no. won't be any statewide seats coming up. That's None. going to be city councils and right. school, uh, school boards, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, so now we're looking ahead to 2026 yes. know, to even begin thinking about Republicans taking back any ground right. whatsoever. And we have no idea what happens in the interim, right? No, and I could see a scenario, uh, Mike, in 2024 that, um, that we might be able to make a run at some of these uh, legislative seats that we lost. Uh, I think the 8th Congressional District could be competitive again uh, because I, we know what Caraveo will do as a member of Congress. She's going to be down the line Democratic and liberal. And so I think there's a possibility of a win there. But you're right. We have no statewide elections on the ballot in 2024 except for president. Right. We have a bunch of stuff in 2026 again. Everything is up again, including the Hickenlooper Senate seat is up in 2026. I would love to think that we can make a comeback then, but it's hard for me to see it right now. Okay, well, that's, that, that's a pretty depressing look at the it statewide is. seats, especially for Republicans. Uh, but let's, you, you brought up CD8, the new congressional district, which we, we gained in the mm -hmm. last redistricting mm -hmm. due to our population growth. Let's talk about that for a minute because some interesting stuff happened up there. Yeah. Right? So Yadira Carabeo, Democrat, uh, wins that seat. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's fairly far left, uh, even as progressives go. Very much so. Very much so. And she wins by about 1,700 votes. Yeah. Right. There was a libertarian candidate, a third-party candidate, who got around 9,000 votes. Now, the question becomes, no one in that race actually ended up getting a majority of the votes. Right. So Yadira Caraveo won with a plurality. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and you know, you can argue over whether or not a libertarian takes more votes from, say, a potential Democrat or right. from a Republican. But the fact remains that it was one with the plurality. I said, right. do you see a problem there? Huh. Well, <clears throat> yes. Um, I don't know what we do about it, though, Mike. To be honest, we cannot keep the libertarians off the ballot, nope. or the American Constitution, or whatever it is. Um, and yet, they're tampering with our um, ability to win elections. Uh, the only the only possibility is uh, it is to impose what Georgia has, <clears throat> which is a um, a runoff system where the top two vote getters have a runoff. Well, we do that in Denver. We right? do. For the Denver mayor, you're right. Denver right? is it's worked very well in Denver over the years. Eventually, somebody has to get a majority. <clears throat> right. right. Eventually, somebody has to win right. that race. And, and of course, they're having a runoff in Georgia on December sixth. Um, so uh, I don't know if the Democrats right now Democrats probably would have no 
incentive to to do that because they're doing pretty well right now. No, they would have be no legislative incentive to do that. It seems to me no. like the only way that, the only way you could implement. And by the way, it wasn't just the congressional race. There was a there was a race that, and these always fly under the radar. There was mm -hmm. a state board of education. Right. There were state board of education seats, and people don't understand the importance of this state board, right? Because this is where <clears> this is where <throat> curriculum decisions are being made. Yes. Right. So this is. And this is where, I mean, if you if a charter school gets denied by a school district, they can appeal up to the State Board of Education. You can still get your charter, uh, and they might kick that back down, and, and that school might be forced to do that. In fact, that has happened right. several times. And currently, Democrats uh, uh, were in charge by right. a seat, I believe. And then we picked up a new state board seat in CD8, mm -hmm. right? And I got the numbers here. And the Republican, Peggy Probst, lost by 2,000 votes. And the third-party candidate got 5,200 votes. There they have it. Right? So that was just so squeaky close. And now Democrats control that, that state board of education. Yeah. Uh, again, they kept it. Uh, and so now we circle back around, and this seems to be an ongoing problem. But it seems to me like the only way that could happen, at least now, uh, would be via the ballot box. I don't know who, who would do that or who would take that on, or if it would even pass. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know how popular a notion <coughs> that is, but it's an interesting discussion because Denver has been doing it for a long time, and that's how they end up with their mayors. Yeah, yeah I don't have an answer to it. Um, and the trouble is, John, is, or Mike, it doesn't make any difference what you, who the, what the name is on the on the no. on the. the, the the mere presence of the line, American Constitution of Libertarian, attracts some voters. And I guess they feel ratified or empowered, but they they showed the Republicans that they're not going to stick with them. I don't, I don't know. I don't I, get it. Mike. I think there's an interesting difference between how the two parties operate. Yeah. Because the Republicans have been dealing with this for a long time. Yeah. Remember, Tom Tancredo ran as, as yes. for governor as an American Constitution that's, party that's right. against the, the, the disastrous Dan Mays. And we ended up... Um, with John Aikenlooper uh, yeah. as governor. But you know, when, when the Democrats were having this problem with the Green Party, and yeah. if you might notice there were no Green Party candidates nope. on your ballot this year, when the Democrats found themselves having the same problem, they, they just basically did, they just ended the, the Green, they basically just did away with the Green Party's funding. They just, they convinced somebody to stop. And so right. by the way, you noticed that <clears throat> went away right. in Colorado. Right. They didn't have to do they didn't have to deal with what Republicans deal with. And I think that also shows that, you know, the, that as parties go, Republicans seem to understand more that, hey, this is the way democracy works. Yeah. So when people talk about this threat <clears throat> to democracy, I wonder how the Green Party candidates, I wonder how the, the ex-Greens yeah. feel about the state of democracy and the fact that there are no Green Party candidates on that ballot. I got to tell you, though, I don't think that the Libertarians or the American Constitution Party is really getting any funding. From anybody, no, and and you know the thing about it is, is that all you got to do is our laws are so easy to get on the ballot, general election ballot, that somebody can just kind of put their name and the Libertarian Party thing on the ballot and walk away and still get three percent or four percent. They don't have to do a thing. No, you just have yeah. to show up. Show up at the ballot. I mean, yes, yeah. yeah. And it also shows that there's a there's a independent streak amongst a, uh, a certain population of Colorado voters, and yes. there always has been. In yes. fact, it's interesting because I remember. You know, I've been around here long enough, and I know you have, but I remember when, you know, Coloradans used to fairly routinely split the ticket. Yes. Because uh, I, I remember, for example, being a Governor Hickenlooper uh, with a, a John Southers as Attorney sure. General. And, you know, sure. that, that, and those that those two men were, were polar right. opposites, right? Well, Cory Gardner unseated Mark Udall the year that... Hickenlooper was being reelected. Yeah, and so a lot of yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of people had to split their ticket, but it feels like yeah. 
the new demographic that has come here yes. in, the, in the last several years, that that has changed significantly. That about, but there's no split, ticket splitting going no, on. In fact, right? I mean, this is ancient history I'm about to talk about, but <laughs> in 1978, Governor Dick Lamb was being reelected by 20 points. Congressman Bill Armstrong was unseating a Democratic incumbent by 20 points. Lamb and Armstrong were like this on the, on the spectrum, and yet you had 20% of the electorate saying, I'm voting for Armstrong for the Senate and Lamb for governor. Perfect, and they were perfectly happy with that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Isn't yeah. it? We're not, it's a long time ago. That was a long time ago, and I don't, I don't think we're going to see no. that moving forward. This no. is, things have really broken down along yes. party lines, and it feels like a lot of these unaffiliates, but they really are, is they've unaffiliated from the party for whatever yes. reason. And lots of people have lots of good reasons to right. unaffiliate, but they're voting Democrat, Yes, and they're not going to stop voting and they are. Th I think they are Democrats. And they were Democrats, yeah. or they are Democrats. Yeah. They just don't want to be affiliated with I them agree. for whatever reason. And I think part of that might be that they want to vote yeah. in primaries. Uh, yeah. Maybe they like playing in the Republican primary, just like some Republicans. Yes, like well, my, and a lot of in the Democratic a lot of my primary. friends have unaffiliated, so they can do that. Right, so I know back people. One a guy by the name of John Caldera. I believe John Caldera unaffiliated just so he could do that. Yeah. He wrote a whole column about it. Yes. Uh, and tried to get other people to do it. Right. It didn't work. But I've I've seen other people uh, urge, try and urge that kind of sure. that kind of uh, monkeying around in primaries, right. and it's kind of interesting. Um, so I I I, I, th I saw a comment, a uh, Facebook post. Uh, we we published a story uh, on uh, Proposition One Twenty One winning, mm -hmm. which was kind of a bright stop spot for conservatives oh, yeah. in Colorado. Big time. The, the, you know the. Uh, <clears throat> the Independence Institute's uh, uh, yes. ballot measure that cut the state income tax again for yes. the second time. That's right. In fact, that's 5% over two election cycles mm -hmm. that the state income tax has been cut. And interesting, people will cut their own income taxes while at the same time voting for ballot measures that raise taxes right. on high net worth individuals. Right. right. So this goes back to this old, I'll cut my taxes, I'll make yeah. you pay for my stuff. Uh, but... I, a guy, so we published a story about Prop 121 passing, and there was this interesting Facebook comment. He goes, oh, there's that the schizophrenia of Colorado voters. Right. Because they went, so voters, the same voters who went solidly, solidly blue by huge margins statewide, overwhelmingly voted to cut their own taxes. Yes. Talk about that. And, and by the way, we saw this play out at a kind of a, a, a slightly lower level too. So mm -hmm. Jefferson County, you, yes. you're, you live in Jeffco, I do. right? I live in Jeffco. I do. And I remember when Jeffco was a red county. Sure. Right? Uh, this election cycle, Jeffco, completely, blue wave completely. 20 everything, points. Right, 20 points. Yeah. Everything went blue. Yeah. Uh, Prop 121 still passed by mm -hmm. a resounding margin and a, a little ballot measure called Issue 1A, which the Jefferson County Commission put on the ballot yes. to detabor all non-property tax revenue, and for folks who don't know what detabering means, basically they were going to end any revenue restrictions right. on all revenues not associated with property right. taxes. It lost. Right. In the same election where the entire county just went solid blue, Prop 121 passes overwhelmingly, same election where the entire state just goes solidly blue. Yeah. What do we do with this? Is the, what, do we, what does this tell us? <clears throat> well, it tells us that the, the, that the voters, even though they voted Democratic so heavily, they still kind of are fundamentally fiscally conservative in many ways. They want to restrain the amount of money and, and power they give to the state government. And uh, in, in Jefferson County, when that was put on the ballot, of course, by three Democratic county commissioners, yep. and they were rebuffed. They were still, now, um, they still got reelected, uh, you know, uh, those commissioners, but, but their ballot proposal went down. The second time. They, the did second a, they, time. They, they tried to do it in 2019 <clears throat> as well, and it went down by, by a larger margin. That's right. And so the Jeffco voters 
said, yeah. we, want, we want our taxpayer protections in place. We want Democrats governing us. And that's the but, whole but, but, yeah. But the same people that they just elected office are the ones that want to do away with their taxpayer protections. Yeah. All the state legislators they voted for. And, of course, we don't even have a Republican legislator now from Jeff Mike. No, that's right. Because um, uh, Colin Larson went down. He was the last one. But um, I don't know when voters will see the disconnect and how they in their voting. Um, but I got to tell you, and it kind of brings up the long-term problem I see for Colorado. I think we're that close to being Oregon, Washington, California, and all the problems that we see with them in terms of crime and homelessness. I think the state's going downhill, and we by by voting in these massive Democratic legislative majorities, and um, we're just we're just accentuating the very problems that people are tired of. And I don't know when the public will finally see it, because it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And um, I I mean I, you look at Portland and San Francisco and Los Angeles. That's where Denver's headed. I mean, every time I drive down, I don't come downtown very often. In fact, about the only time I do is to come here to the Independence Institute. And it just amazes me what I see every time I come down here. It is amazing sometimes, isn't it? In fact, we live with it on a day-to-day basis. I know you do. And and just to wake up every morning and see the the crimes that are committed the day before and to read about them every day. I think that's where we're headed as a state, the way we are empowering these Democrats who are going to continue to do their pro-criminal policies and their, I don't, I don't even know how to describe their homeless policies. Uh, they're terribly ineffective, whatever they are. It, well, they seem to be non-existent, yeah. uh, honestly. Uh, although we do spend a lot of money yeah. on, on homelessness. Oh boy, don't we. we, we don't we, know who we, gets we, it. But. Uh, well, there, there seems to be an, a complex, a yes. homeless industrial complex. There on. is. So, there is one thing that we we talked about. We talk about this, and that is that the the, the one thing that I mean, there's this interesting kind of messaging that was in a lot of the media in the run up. What I call the Democrat media, mm-hmm. anyway, in the run up, and they were carrying a lot of the Democrats' messaging mm-hmm. for them because they were talking about election deniers, right? Right, and they were talking <clears throat> about democracy on the ballot. Yeah, threats to democracy on yeah. the ballot. Right? Yeah even though you couldn't really identify how exactly right. actual democracy was being threatened. And I thought to myself, it's, it's interesting that those same people who are doing that don't look at one-party dominance as a threat exactly. to democracy. Exactly. Or a governor who essentially gets to rule by fiat through executive, through yes. commissions and committees. Right. And there has been a lot of uh, a policy uh, initiatives done in Colorado that have bypassed the state legislature. Yes. And that doesn't get talked about. Talk, no. talk about that. And how, how much worse is this going to get moving forward? Well, I think I think it is going to get worse because these big majorities actually empower the far left of the Democratic Party. And Polis is, I mean, he's better than a lot of Democratic governors, but ultimately he acquiesces to most of this stuff. I mean, did he do anything on fentanyl when that, when that bill first came across his desk? No, he signed the darn bill. Um, did he do anything to try to to criminalize fentanyl, uh, fentanyl totally? No, he, he let that little loophole get in. That it was a huge, it wasn't a loophole, it was a chasm to, to, um, for fentanyl. I mean, uh, Polis, um, he's gonna be governor four more years. The only difference now, Mike, is he is going to be bored in office, like every other, so many other governors are in their second term. And I, I think that um, he's gonna be uh, spending more time thinking about traveling to Iowa and uh, and uh, South Carolina, 
and New Hampshire. Dick Polis has said on several several occasions that he is this is the job he has always wanted. Oh, this yes. is the job. No, this is the job that he loves. This right here is the job he has always wanted, and he has no interest in in uh, uh, going to Washington. I don't know that he'll ultimately pull the trigger on running, but I think he's going to definitely stick his toe in the water, and he's going to he's going to make some trips around the country. Let's talk about that for a second, yeah. because there's been um, we, we have uh, uh, we've noticed this interesting kind of dilemma going on is that Polis gets some pretty amazing national amazing. press. I mean, it's astonishing sometimes. And I'm talking about high-level national press. We're talking about the Libertarians at Reason Magazine. We're talking about uh, the, the George Will. George Will. Uh, man, you know, Republican conservative yes. columnist. And Fox News does glowing articles about Governor Polis. I saw a, a big spread on Polis right after the election saying, isn't it great? It looks like... Democrats can win even without a big government agenda. Yeah. And the problem with this is that all these people who are giving Governor Pol that kind of coverage would not happen here at the local level. Because even the reporters who would be inclined to want to at least be good to him, they can't be that, they would just be so overtly dishonest right. that they couldn't even pull it off. No. Not with a straight face anyway. But this national press corps can say this stuff without a straight face, but they're completely disconnected to the reality on the ground. Right. And so Polis appears to have a really strong national media oh, yeah. structure already in place. Yeah. And and what's the uh, the old Reagan um, advisor um, who is his, he, he cites this as his kind of sponsor, his uh, early mentor. Um, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to blank on it. Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> well, anyway. No, no. And the Wall Street Journal has written nice Wall Street Journal has, 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 I mean, glowingly, just, has glowingly written well, about Governor he, Polis. You know, I think it's a, a function to some extent, Mike, that he is better than a lot of other Democrats. I mean, that's a relative term. But, uh, I mean, think about him versus uh, uh, Gretchen Whitner, Whitmer in, in Michigan. I mean, and how she handled COVID and what he did. I mean... I still think the, the media let him off the hook on nursing home deaths, uh, even though Colorado Public Radio did hold him accountable for that. But, but, but I, he, just, he just seems to weasel out of everything and for his own responsibility. He's good at it. He is really good at this, yeah. isn't he? Yes, he is. Uh, so we only got a couple minutes left, but let's talk a little bit about the national picture. Sure. So we've been focused on Colorado. So we know we live in a blue state. Interesting enough, as Colorado got bluer, like a place like Florida just got redder. Oh. Uh, which is really interesting. And I saw, I read a, a very interesting piece, and this was Wall Street Journal. Uh -huh. And they were talking about an, uh, an out-migration to places like Florida, yes. turning Florida more red, but turning places those people are leaving more blue. So yes. they were, people are fleeing certain states, and what they leave behind is a stronger Democrat base. Yes. Uh, what do you see happening, uh, say, in the next couple of years with regard to Colorado? People keep leaving the state, but who, who's coming here? Well, I think they're going to be largely be like the people who came here in this last decade, Mike. Eight hundred thousand people moved here, and they, they, all, they all had to come from somewhere. That, and, and, and we know we know yeah. that the data says that the three the three states that fed the most people into Colorado, I believe, if I remember right, was Illinois, California, and maybe New York State. I think so. Uh, and so those were already blue states, but a lot of more younger, and they wanted to come live in. It's you know, it's cool to be in Colorado. But they bring as fast. I remember. Uh, I remember meeting a, a young woman, and she had just moved here from upstate New York, and she's living in Denver, and they love it, right? And uh, I remember saying, "So what brought you here?" And she goes, "Oh, she goes, man, the cost of living up in where we were living, and the taxes were so high, and the 
this and the that and the other thing, and then she was gonna she was gonna vote a solid Democrat ticket because because just because they came here, they brought their political ideology yeah. here with them. I said, but there are yeah. people flowing. So it used <clears throat> to be, you know, I remember that it used to be that people, you know, Denver's. In fact, I would anticipate the next Denver mayor to be. I would expect for Mayor Hancock's actual history to be that he was actually a fairly conservative guy. I agree. I mean, compared to what's totally. coming, what's totally. coming our way uh, in the De for Denver, totally. right? Uh, but the Denver, as Denver got bluer and bluer and bluer and bluer, those people weren't leaving the state; they were just heading out to the suburbs of Colorado. Right. But now it se feels like, and the data kind of supports this, that they're actually just leaving the state. Yeah. So I guess what I'm asking, I said, is what's is there hope for a uh, is there any hope for ever bringing back any balance of power, even if Republicans just take back a chamber of the legislature? What's that going to take? It's going to take uh, some demographic changes, like you just talked about. Once again, Mike, it's going it, to. We cannot do it as long as Trump is, defines the Republican Party. Um, and now, interestingly, in Florida, you bring up Florida. Two hundred. I read where two hundred thousand New Yorkers have left New York to go to Florida, and they were conservatives. All the, all the conservatives left New York State, <clears throat> yes, apparently. Yes, yes. and that, that has fundamentally changed Florida politics, just like the 800,000 people who moved here. Um, and, then, uh, and then, of course, DeSantis has moved Hispanics uh, towards Republicans. He carried Miami-Dade County, a majority Hispanic county, the biggest county in Florida. He carried it. I mean, he has fundamentally transformed Florida into a red state when it comes down to it. Uh, so I don't know what it's going to take here. But it's not going to happen right away. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, and on that really unpleasant note, Dick, I'm going to appreciate you coming by and talking to us. Thank you, Mike. And you all enjoy your weekend. We'll see you later. Thanks. This is John Caldera. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend. You can listen to more episodes on all streaming services with new ones being released weekly. And remember, this is the audio from our television show. To watch the video version, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations.